Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. The U.S. and China relationship is one of the most complex and consequential relationships of uh, any that we have in the world today. The U.S. is determined to avoid conflict or a new Cold War with China, so says U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken during a major China policy speech at uh, George Washington University. And uh, that's uh, what he said right after U.S. President Joe Biden wrapped up his first presidential Trip to Asia. So, what are the key takeaways from this speech? What does the U.S. want in Asia vis-à-vis -vis China, and uh, what future headwinds might the U.S. face in the region, especially when it comes to competing with China? Welcome to the Point, an opinion show coming to you live from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. I'm pleased to be joined for this special edition from Shanghai by Huang Jing, University Professor at Shanghai International Studies University, and from Basking Ridge, New Jersey, James Nolt, adjunct professor at New York University, joining me from the United States. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. Um, professor Nolt, let me go straight to you because it really baffles me what he says. One thing that he said that uh, the Secretary of State Blinken said during his speech, he said, American workers are the best in the world. What does he, buy, what does he mean by that? Who is he comparing American workers with? Well, you've got to understand that speeches like this are mainly for public consumption. Words are cheap in politics and I wouldn't uh, read too much into that. I think it's uh, designed as a political campaign slogan more than it is uh, a statement of fact. It's an insult to workers everywhere in the world. Doesn't he understand that people around the world, especially in China or in the Asia Pacific, will be listening to him? Who is he comp comparing American workers against once again? Does he not think about the consequences of his words? No, as I say, he's addressing primarily an American audience for whom those words would come across as being very favorable and reassuring. Uh, and that's really what they're designed to, to reassure a domestic audience. It, they're not really designed, although of course they may be heard around the world, they're not really designed for a global audience. They're designed for an American audience, considering this is an election year and his political position is a little bit vulnerable anyway. Professor Huang, what's your take uh, besides all of the things he says vis-a-vis -vis how, how the United States is going to handle China, what he mentioned here as American workers being the best in the world, I think that's very condescending, and then he used the word genocide uh, against what China, the, the measures that China takes in Xinjiang to fight against terrorism. This is, um, I think, unacceptable to a lot of people here in China vis-a-vis -vis the kind of hard-won peace and stability that has been uh, that has been as a result of these uh, these policies that he smears. I think genocide is a term created to demonize China because I know myself. Uh, when I was in Beijing Language uh, and Culture University, I have two uh, Uyghur uh, students. One of them, the last first name is Rodman. Uh, another one is a girl, is a Patima, and they're both from Xinjiang. Uh, Rodman actually from Houghton, Houghton area, and uh, he has uh, five siblings. He's a eldest, uh, and now he's working in Beijing, and Padima is from Urumqi, and she also has a, you know, a, a, a kind of twin uh, sister. And, uh, you know, the, the three facts. Number one, like my student, she ha he has 
he was born in 1996. After that, he has five siblings. That means the population is growing. And uh, when I talk about genocide, they laughed. The Uyghurs, genuine Uyghurs, I still have the pictures. We still have good relationship. And for number two, we know that uh, the, in, in terms of population, Uyghur people's population increases the fastest, one of the fastest among China, all the nationalities in China. And number three, we know that the Xinjiang area, the GDP, the economical growth is also very fast. So it is not a fact. It is it cannot be you know scrutinized. Uh, and uh, sooner or later, this is going to broke. I think when that day come, I think the, the, the United States government. I always caution my friends in America. You'll be a bankruptcy of your morale, morality because you cannot, as a number one power, the superpower, who's supposed to have the moral high ground, to make up such a story, a genocide, uh, to accuse uh, a country which actually trying to take care of uh, their the own people. And also, uh, China actually take a much mild, much peaceful way to deal with the, 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 the terrorist extremists in the land. China never launched a war, for example, against uh, the so-called terrorism. Uh, China never go into use weapons, use bombs, use machine guns to deal with uh, the so-called extremists. We know that extremist terrorism exists all over the world. Uh, and in that part, I think the United States also has responded on possibility. All right. Regarding right. the first yeah. question, the best workers, the yes. United States works up. I can understand because we Chinese, we also say that we Chinese workers are most, you know, industrious. And uh, we should be proud of ourselves. I actually uh, tolerate on that. I think that either I agree with uh, with the previous uh, the uh, guest said, uh, this is election year. But on the other hand, I think as Americans, you know, they are they deserve to be proud of themselves. They deserve to say that our workers are the best. I think from that point of view, I, I think I understand that mm. because uh, well, other people like Russians, Chinese, uh, Ukrainians, all we say that their people are the best. I, I think, well, the thing uh, is, from we're from the point of view of the national pride uh, or identif uh, national identification, I think uh, that's, uh, to me, uh, I think that's okay. The thing is whether it is okay to base your foreign policy on such thinking, such rhetoric, such, such campaign rhetoric. For instance, he's talking about China posing the most serious long-term challenge or being the serious, uh, most serious and long-term threat to the existing international order and that China is the only country with both the intent and the power to reshape the international order. So, um, Professor Nolt, what is your view of the kind of premise of Washington's China approach. Basically, they're saying, okay, we're not trying to block China, we're not going to stop China, but we're going to isolate China because we're going to work on shaping the kind of strategic environment that China is going to be, is going to find itself in. How do you see the, the, the legitimacy of the kind of premise of this kind of policy? Well, as I said before, I think there's a big difference between uh, words spoken in public and the actual content of policy. One of the first things I teach my students is that most of the public speeches are to be disregarded. We don't take them seriously as an actual statement of policy. Now, I know people around the world may do that, but to understand policy, you have to look at what the United States actually does and not the words that are said. The words that are said are largely So are you saying that we shouldn't listen? Are, are you saying we shouldn't pay attention to Mr. Blinken's words here? No, I don't. Most Americans who are well-versed in foreign policy don't pay much attention to speeches because we know that they're pretty empty of content, and I think this was no exception. 
But the, the thing is, the Biden administration is going uh, to shape its... countries, but they it's don't represent to... actual policy. Okay, that's your take. Professor Huang, do you think we should listen or are we wasting yes. our time <laughs> talking about his speech here? Yes, I think that, uh, you know, China already been regarded or seen, at least by Mr. Blinken and uh, his boss, uh, President Biden, uh, that China is the number one or most serious long-term challenger uh, to challenge the international order led uh, by the United States. And uh, if you're being called a challenger, call your names, you've got to be attending to it. But I also noticed a kind of slight change, some significant but subtle change in the nuance. Just a few months ago, uh, we heard that President Biden said the United States is determined to outcompete China. In other words, U.S.-China competition has become the number one priority in his foreign policy, and he's out there to you know, join with all the allies and the strategic partners the United States has to outcompete China. But now, why they say that China, they don't want to confront China, they don't want a new Cold War with China, but they try to create an environment in which China if China does not change the way doing business, China will be isolated. I think that's reflect, in my view, a reality because Blinken has been in Asia and Biden just finished a trip here. They also organized a summit with the ASEAN leaders in Washington, D.C. I think that President Biden and Blinken must have a year for that the Asian people does not want, do not want to take side. They do not want to confront China. They want to include China into their businesses. As the ASEAN leaders put it very clearly, number one, they don't want to take side. Number two, they're not going to participate into any mechanism or any architectures that without China. In other words, if you, whatever you want to build in the Asian Pacific, if you want to exclude China, then a lot of people will not join you. I think this reality, I think, has a, has a huge impact on Blinken's speech. That's why he changed his tone. He said, oh, we don't want to have a cold war with China. We don't want to confront China. We just want to establish an environment in which China will be isolated. I would say that Mr. Blinken has to be very careful about what he's saying, because if they insist on this policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis China to so-called outcompete China, to see China as a major rivalry in Asia-Pacific or Indo-Pacific, I think most, more, more likely or not, it is the United States that will be isolated uh, in that situation. Because okay. after all, the reality is that China is the, 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 the center of the gravity, not only for, only for economic activities, but also for diplomacy yeah. and uh, political activities. Okay. Professor Nolt, let me, let me turn back to you. And I, and I let you speak as much as you can. Sorry for interrupting earlier. But uh, let's just pretend that there is something to be taken away from the speech, according to your logic. What do you think it is? There, mm. Is there nothing new out of his speech? Is, did he say something that uh, uh, was not said before that you think is worthy of our attention? I don't think it's uh, particularly worthy of attention in the sense that there's no major change here. Uh, I think what it shows is actually the political weakness and also the limitations of the agreements that uh, Biden was able to make in Asia. They're actually quite, quite insignificant compared to the kinds of trade agreements and initiatives that the U.S. had done under Obama. So I think what it shows is not uh, a politician speaking from strength, but in, in a certain weakness and trying to project uh, something new that really isn't new by using, uh, using bold words when actually the content's not that great. The other th big point that's important to keep in mind is that the United States is a capitalist country. Uh, 
foreign policy is made in Washington, but it's also made in the in the uh, business capital in New York and in, by corporations. And if we look at American corporate behavior, what we see is that foreign direct investment to China, for example, has grown every year, including during the trade war. It reached a record level in 2021. The U.S.-China trade didn't decline either during the trade war. So even if Washington has a policy of, say, containing China, American business doesn't necessarily go along. In fact, the pattern has been to expand gradually the relationship. So that's why I say the words coming out of Washington, number one, don't necessarily represent a very significant change in policy. And second, they don't represent all of America because America is primarily a capitalist country and most of the power to actually create a relationship with China is in the hands of private business, not in the government. So basically you're saying there's a disconnect between the kind of vision that Mr. Blinken has for, in his mind for this administration and the kind of realities that they will be against while trying to implement this policy. Uh, so how futile, yes. how, how useful this kind of uh, approach would be because it seems they do have a, a big structure in mind and they are uh, making efforts to take steps to build that kind of structure taking into consideration the kind of moves that President Biden has been taking on his trip to Asia, taking into consideration the, the kind of the many structures that's been, been uh, put in place, for instance, ALCOs, for instance, um, the, um, um, the IFEP, the Indo-Pacific Economic Structure, and so on and so forth. So they're trying to realize that vision, isn't it, uh, Professor Nold? How futile is that effort going to be? Yes, but the Th those are relatively limited agreements compared to, for example, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was a much deeper agreement that uh, Trump pulled out of at the beginning of his administration. Another thing to pay attention to is it's not just uh, a Blinken statement, but also recently the Treasury Secretary Yellen and uh, the, the USTR uh, Catherine Tai and the former Tre Treasury Secretary uh, Summers have all said that they believe that the uh, uh, the Trump tariffs that were put on China in 2018 really should be removed because of their inflationary effect in the United States. So there, is, there are disagreements and discussions going on within the Biden administration. There are some who really believe that the trade war was a mistake. Biden himself uh, campaigned against it. So I think there is a debate going on with the administration. I, I don't think Anthony Blinken's words completely represent the variety of views within the administration, and they certainly don't represent the views of many American businesses that continue to invest and expand their commitments to Asia. Professor Huang, what is your take? Do you think uh, that is a kind of wishful thinking on the mind of the Secretary of State or on the or the Biden cabinet? And uh, do you think the Biden administration will continue to push to carry out this strategy, however, whatever support they may have? I think that uh, I, I trust the Biden administration and has really take China as a very serious challenge. I think that is a consensus that's been reached by both Republicans and the Democrats. And unfortunately, the bilateralization, the polarization, the division, almost irreconcilable division between Republicans and Democrats and the non-Democrats themselves has made it impossible for Biden to step down, to climb down on this position and he has to, in, in the rest years of his administration, has to be continue this position. Uh, uh, that's reason number one. Reason number two is that the entire policy and foreign policy of Biden administration is built upon this 
this kind of uh, assumption or perception that China is a number one rivalry, China is a long-term, more serious challenge to the international order. And uh, this is uh, too late for him to make any change, so I can go on. But the, 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 the challenge for Biden administration is that, number one, China has repeatedly said China does not want to get into confrontation with the United States. China wants to maintain at least a stable bilateral relationship between the two most powerful countries in the world. That's good for everyone. And second, the countries around China, except that like, like Japan uh, or, 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 or area called Taiwan, which, part of, which is part of China, very few people in, in, in the Asian Pacific or in the Pacific want to go along with the United States to confront China, to compete with China. They take another route, totally different. They want to increase China, include China, embrace China into this, uh, into this development, which following the trend of a global economic globalization or integration. And I think the United States, if they're rational enough, they should realize that the kind of policy to confront China or to outcompete China is, is not feasible in this area. That's why I think uh, Mr. Blinken changed a little bit his norms. He said, oh, we don't want to like, have a code with China or compete with China or confront with China. We just want to create an environment which is good for us. But even that is bad because if we think that we all live in the same global village, hmm. an, environment, an environment good for the United States should and must be good for everyone. If it's we have an environment only good for the United States of America, that's not an environment that will be welcomed by the, by the rest of the world. It's really interesting because now that you mentioned that, Professor Huang, if you listen to that speech or if you read the transcript of the speech, some of the things that's been, that's, that are being said are actually quite um, open-minded, let's say. For instance, he says uh, the United States want to make it possible for all countries, including the U.S. and China, to coexist and cooperate, that all countries should have the freedom to choose the kind of future they want to choose and I think that should include China as well if China wants to pursue its own future that should be acknowledged and uh, um, so um, Professor Nold how do you look at the kind of grand ideas that uh, Mr. Blinken is is uh, eluding here uh, China also has this idea of harmony of peaceful coexistence of country of different countries of different uh, political systems should have the right to chart their own future and coexist is there a difference be between these two versions Yes, I think uh, Professor Huang uh, hit on a very good point, which is that they're sort of speaking out of both sides of their mouth in the sense that, on the one hand, he's talking about the areas of possible cooperation, and, and that's also alluding to the possibility of a trade deal that would result in the elimination of the Trump-era tariffs. And on the other hand, he's talking about uh, some uh, significant ideological differences or differences in, uh, in particular areas. Uh, but frankly, in, from the standpoint of uh, economic relationship, uh, the emphasis is much more on uh, cooperative rather than antagonistic, in my view. I do think that Biden wants a trade deal, but I think he's in a politically weak position and he wouldn't necessarily have a majority congressional support for the kind of deal that he might prefer to have. And the second thing that's important is that he's become preoccupied with the Ukraine war and is not as focused, and his foreign policy team is not as focused on trying to forge a more cooperative uh, relationship in Asia. I don't think they've abandoned the idea of it, but I think it's taken a back seat 
because of the prominence that the Ukraine war has taken in American foreign policy this year. Mm -hmm. If you look at the three C's, right, compete, confront and cooperate, that has been highlighted by the Biden administration since its early days. And now he also talked about that, China, that the United States and China should uh, cooperate, for instance, on climate change, on fighting COVID and on food crisis. But um, Professor Huang, help us understand the reaction, the feeling that China will have on its side. Um, is it a a friendly, a equal relationship when the United States says we're going to compete against you, we're going to confront you on these areas and we're going to cooperate with you on these few areas and you're going to do everything as I want you to. Is that going to be productive and helpful? Is it in the end, will there be any uh, tangible results coming out of this kind of very estranged atmosphere of cooperation? I think the first, uh, let me mention, you just mentioned the three C's, the cooperation, uh, cooperation, confrontation, and so forth, I've mentioned in the early days of Biden administration. In Blinken's speech just recently, uh, we know, I noticed that uh, the one C, the confrontation, is totally disappeared. He no longer mentioned that, right. which is a progress. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's good. Uh, drop the con confrontation out of his entire speech. I was looking for that word, but it never uh, appeared. He actually said I'm the U.S. does not want confrontation. Uh, yes, as three C, only two C's left. The challenges and the cooperation. So challenges, okay. But when Bill, uh, no, but when uh, Clinton, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Clinton. Blink, Blinken said that the one cooperates to China. Let's keep in mind there is a condition, uh, or even necessary condition, from American point of view for the cooperation. That is must be in American's terms, because he said China is a long-term most serious challenge to the international order established or led by the United States, which means if China want to cooperate with the United States, China have to follow the rules made by the United States, have to cooperate with the United States in the context of the so-called international order, United States defined and led. In other words, you cooperate with me, welcome, but you have to follow my rules. But must be in my terms and in my favor. That is a lot very hard uh, to accept, to be accepted by, by, by China's side because cooperation means if we really want cooperation or even competition, means three things must be equal. Number one, we're in positions. Number two, we follow the same set of rules agreed by both of us. Number three, of course, we have to produce some public goods for the third parties standby. In other words, the competition is a positive, have to be equal, have to follow the same set of rules accepted by everyone and have to publish or have to produce the public good for everyone. But now if according to Blinken said that this computation or this cooperation is not equal because the United States is in the dominant position. Number two is not follow the same rules that both sides accept. It's American's rules. If you don't want follow my rules, then you're the revisionist. You're the challenge right. my okay. And also this kind of competition, I don't think will produce any public goods for the rest member of the global mm. community. Professor Nald, how do you look at the kind of uh, end game or big picture that the United States has in mind when it talks about competition and, uh, uh, um, you know, manage and cooperation vis-a-vis -vis China? And what does China have in its mind? Because China talks about a shared community of uh, humankind. Uh, for for the for the for for population of the of the globe, China also has a vision, where countries coexist. But uh, is that the same, or is that um, a malign one? Let's say in the United States terms. Well, I think what what we're talking about is in fact a, a problem that's happening within American politics, because of course the the, the existing 
world order was largely designed and implemented by the United States after World War II, many of the institutions the United States long supported, including things like the World Trade Organization, however, the U.S. is now backing away from some of those institutions, including, let's focus on the World Trade Organization, and criticizing some of its decisions, including decisions that went against the United States. And I think what's happened, therefore, is a kind of, uh, on the one hand, the U.S. says it wants a rule-based order, but on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily want to agree to any particular set of rules because the rules it would like to impose are not necessarily the rules that it would want to follow. And that's, that's a real problem. It's a problem that started in the Trump administration, where Trump basically is carrying an idea of, you know, do as I say, don't do as I do. And I think Biden, we expected that Biden would make a, a break from Trump and to return to a kind of multilateral rule-based mm -hmm. international order. But so far, he hasn't very, gone very far down the path to do that. And I think part of the indication of why not is because he's in a position of relative domestic political weakness. Okay. That is, he's got an equally divided Senate, and it's more difficult for him to get legislation to really make any significant changes. Right, and uh, especially looking at the kind of domestic violence and domestic polarization, um, the situation is definitely not very ideal for people to look at the United States as the shining city on top of the hill or the lighthouse for the world. Anyway, we are going to leave it there. Many thanks to Professor Huang Jing, University Professor at Shanghai International Studies University and from New Jersey, James Nolt, adjunct professor at New York University. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Lu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. Welcome to My Stories of Chinese Characters, Season 2. I'm Uncle Han Zi. This season, we will travel to different destinations and experience the different sceneries throughout the year. This season, we will taste delicious foods. Delicious, how sure. Feel the delicacy of Chinese silk. Uh, some people say that this is the world's first computer because each one of these is an instruction and enjoy the local architectures. Yes, it's a big house, Chuanzhou's Guzhou. We will feel a sense of camaraderie on the slow train. And feel the excitement of the snowfields. Yes! 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 I'm Uncle Han Zi. This season, we will take you to see a different China from the perspective of Chinese characters. Meet us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms, or on our website, radio.cgtn.com.